everyone, welcome back to the latest episode of the Master Unknown Podcast. I'm your host Stephen Murphy as always, and I'm joined by the usual rugby crew of Westy and Sam. Westy's already frozen on the video, so uh, I'm going to ask him to uh, cut uh, or stop the video so that we get his actual audio. Um, talking, of course, last weekend's actions tonight, um, a couple of four quarterfinals, they were all pretty decent from what I've saw. Anyway, I've seen uh, most of the games live, so... Uh, looking forward to getting stuck into that. We'll start, obviously, with the two Irish teams playing at the weekend, uh, Leinster v Saracens. Um, uh, I, was, I, say, I would say a shock, Sam, but I don't know. Where, like, were you actually shocked by this result? Uh, like, it's hard to say, because I think last week I did say that I thought Leinster would be too strong just with the Saracens not having played too much competitive rugby in the last couple of weeks, you know, meaningless rugby. Uh, and then the changes from pers- personnel point of view for Saracens the last couple of w- weeks, you know, players have left, players have gone out on loan, uh, obviously Farrell's yellow card. So I did say last week I thought Leinster would be too strong, but I had also, I, I can't remember offhand if I did or not say it, but I'd caveat that by saying, like, Saracens were always going to be a tough opponent and this was going to be their big bang end of the season, the only thing left to play for. So I, I wasn't overly shocked watching it from like the power and pace that they brought into it. But I no, I can't lie and say that I didn't think Leicester would win last week. But oh, it was a good game. It was great. Like Saracen's game plan was just null and void uh Leinster in the first half. They just absolutely decimated them up front. Uh they played that power game that's been so successful for English teams against Irish teams the last couple of years and for England against Ireland. And you know, when half that pack has got nothing to play for this season except for this, and then they're like an international standard pack like this, they're going to be hard to stop. And unfortunately, Leinster didn't get going until the second half. Yeah. Yeah, Wesley, just what you dropped off there, I was asking Sam, like, uh, you know, the headlines would say a shocking loss for Leinster, but, like, were you genuinely shocked by that loss? Or, you know, was it something that you saw coming? Um, I, I don't want to say I necessarily saw it coming. Um, I definitely knew it was going to be, uh, maybe Sam said the same thing, that was definitely going to be probably their biggest challenge so far. Um. I think in a lot of ways, Saracens were probably listening to our podcast last week because they did all the things that Ulster should have done. You know, they took their yeah. points early on. They built up a good healthy lead and made Leinster chase the game. And then you're putting Leinster in a situation that they haven't been in, in since, well, I don't know, when the last time they had to chase a game was really, like, especially in that context. Um, so it kind of, I don't know if it shows you how to beat Leinster, but it shows you, you know, what you kind of need to do in a way. Um, you know, they're not used to what I was thinking before half time was there's nobody in this Lancer squad that's standing up and changing the game for them. They're not used to having to do that. Now, I do think when Ryan Bird came on mm. shortly after half time and Ronan Keller heard that, that that did happen. They did change their, their focus. But even going back to the first five minutes of the game, uh, is it uh, Cock headbutts uh, Robbie Henshaw on the ground and gets away with it? Like, if that's a red, if that is, that's a red card, if that gets given, it's a complete. Is that difference. Michael Rhodes? No. Michael yeah, Rhodes, sorry, yeah. Yeah, he's been cited yeah. afterwards. Yeah, like we can speculate if that would have changed the game. We, the, the, you know, we'll never know. Um, fair play for being picked up by the, the citation people, though, because even in the replays, I was like, what am I looking at here? I, like, <laughs> there's so yeah. hard to spot. It, it, it's so innocuous, and like I've seen a couple of like salty, salty Leinster fans yeah. on Twitter. It's 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 been quite nice. Uh, I've just been looking like you know the Cartman like licking the tears off your man, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. feeling like that all day. But uh, I've seen some, and they're like, "Oh, typical cheating Saracens." You know that Leinster would have won it otherwise. It was like if Leinster like 
that's why the sighting is there. Like the sighting is for things that are missed, but you still have to beat the team that's on the pitch. It was 15 against 15, and Leinster just weren't good enough on the day, especially in the first half. I said, uh, I said it on Twitter. I was saying that like it's been we've never seen Larmer under the cosh. We've never seen Luke McGrath not with time. We've never seen. Leinster in the last three, four years actually properly challenged, except for Saracens last year. And these are players that Ireland are going to rely on, and Ireland are not going to be the best team 99% of the time. They're going to be the best team maybe 60% of the time. So they have to, you know, these players have to get experience of being under the cash, and they have to get experience of coming back in the face of ad- adversity, like this situation, like them losing at halftime by so much. And I wasn't filled with too much dread on an Irish point of view because I think Leinster did fight back quite well, but uh, it's still you know, prolonged periods of pressure for Leinster is what's going to be needed. Yeah, like Leinster the last few weeks have started pretty slow most games and you couldn't do that against obviously Saracens, but like Saracens kicked off and it was immediate knock on and the whole Saracens team were shouting and clapping and slapping each other. They were absolutely ready to go from second one. And they, they were properly up for the game. Even when they scored a try, really, they all all the subs came over like, you know, big kind of like doggy pile celebrating. They were incredibly up for this game and it showed throughout. Their physicality was just incredible. And it's a microcosm of England, Ireland last year in Six Nations uh, and the warm game before the World Cup. We can't, you know, I'm, like, Leinster Saracens, you might as well say like, you know, it's basically England versus Ireland in a lot of ways, but they... We can't match that physicality when, when Saracens bring it, and Leinster couldn't either. And that's an issue because it's physicality is something like you either have lads to do it or you don't. And Leinster didn't have that at the weekend, and it showed. Yeah, but pair up the playbook from an Irish point of view either. Like England have traditionally been more physical than us mm. for... You know, since I started watching rugby, they, just, they have a bigger player pool to pick from. They have a bit like a more widespread professional game they have league influence as well like these, these are things that bring that physicality around they're not competing with underage hurling and football like the big lads play rugby and that's that's something that we're probably not going to be able to catch up on so we shouldn't try to force that issue and match them i don't think uh, we've beaten england in the past when they've had physical teams and we beat them again i just think leinster were beaten on the day and i want to make a point like that you about the Saracens players slapping each other on the back. It, it's a really big aspect of their game that they buy into and they have for years is creating that big piss the other team off because of how much you celebrate. Almost NFL style, get in, everyone cheer, every ruck and stuff. And I think that worked hugely to Saracens' advantage at the weekend because the stadium was empty and there was no atmosphere and Saracens brought their own atmosphere. If that was a full-packed sea of blue, they could have been completely different. Leinster could have been buoyed by the fans cheering them on, but Saracens kind of became their own fans and get the, gave themselves a little bump there. And it, it probably worked in the empty stadium on to their benefit. And you know they were they were playing some great rugby for the first half. They were really good. And then second half, like didn't score for most of the second half, but they just defended so well. Like you know they stopped Leinster getting any momentum, even when they were kind of clawing back into the game. I didn't believe at any point in the second half Leinster were going to take it. No, I well the last ten minutes I was like if they score early here, uh, they've all the momentum. But yeah, I know I can see what you mean. But Wesley, do you agree with Sam? There is this sort of just like a, you know, Saracens are just an incredibly bad matchup for Leinster. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know if they're an incredibly bad match at Flintster. I mean, it's definitely kind of been two games in two years now where Leinster have kind of come up short for various reasons. Um, I think it was, I don't know, it was the Saracens captain or who was afterwards made a good point that like they're playing so they can play another game together. Like that half of that team is going away now next year because, you know, the regulation violations of the salary cap and stuff. So as Sam said, without the crowd to bolster Leinster forward, they probably just didn't have as much dog in them as, as Saracens did. Um, I also think Saracens played it kind of more intelligently and it, I know it's not worth anything. There was a point where I thought Leinster, after the second try, probably were going to win. You could see that Saracens were really hesitant to, to bring on their bench because they had nobody on their bench. They didn't have anybody on the bench that could maintain that standard of play. Um, and I guess on the other side of that coin, it kind of irks me a bit when Leinster is saying like a certain journalist on off the ball, I think I met you guys the other day, was saying, oh, with Tyke Furlong injured and uh, Andrew Porter not playing well, Michael Bent's just not good enough. It's like, well, how many do you want? Yeah. Like, you can't have all of them. Do you know, yeah, like, no, Saracens no had no bench. World, no team in the world has world-class third-string players. No. Like, like Leinster are human at the end of the day. You're going to have injuries. You're not always going to... Like, I think Andrew Porter is a fantastic player. Probably didn't have the best game of his life... Uh, on Saturday, not that he, I don't think he was overly bad. A couple of one or two penalties, maybe that he gave away, but a different ref on a different on those scrums, and it probably wouldn't have been him giving away. Yeah, I think that's we need to mention that though. Saracens are very clever, and as you said, they were tactically I think better. They like Saracens live on the line when it comes to penalties, and like Mario Toja's interception in that first half, he was a mile offside, but he spots that the referee isn't looking, he sees it coming, and he takes the chance. And Saracens are very good at that. I told you, is very good at that. And I don't think Leinster are, um, what's the best word of putting it? They're not, they're not dirty enough, or they're not, not dirty is not the word, but you know what I mean. They're not clever enough or cute enough. Cute, cute enough, yes. Yeah. They're uh, cute, and I don't mean cuddly. Do you know that, that kind of way? Um, but that that probably comes from I think Leinster being so dominant in the league, and Leinster having not been tested for well over a year at this stage. Like it pains me to say it, but no team in the league has put it to Leinster. And, like, we can talk about Munster doing it for 10 minutes, but it wasn't a test. Leinster never got out of third gear in that game. They didn't need to unload all the stars. You know, they could they could do that. And that that's where the lack of cuteness comes most of the time. They have 75% possession. They're three tries up within 10 minutes in a lot of games. And, yeah, that's brilliant in the Pro 12 when you're dominating. But when you're coming up against the Saracens or a Racing or, you know, an Exeter even, like, these are these are teams that – they'll push you and they're like, they're scrapping in the premiership. They're playing a higher out and that's Leinster probably just losing that. And that's going to affect them in Europe. Like, so. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Look, Leinster didn't show up a lot, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Inglory said Larmer was definitely showing up in the air. A lot of knock-ons, just not, not uh, oozing confidence in the air in a lot of ways. And I seen on I seen the headlines. Sorry, so forgive me if if by not actually going into depth in it, I'm coming up, you know, with wrong information here. But uh, someone off the ball this morning said that you know Leinster don't have any great players, um, as in like individually great players. Which at the time I thought was ridiculous, but in the last few weeks, there's definitely I would agree with that. In the last few weeks, no one has stood up and shone the way like as we said, Leinster have been in third, fourth gear the whole competition. And as we've seen with loads of great teams in the past, you can't just flick a switch and turn it on. It's it's not possible. You you have to ramp up to that stage and continue to be at that stage. And Lenser this week just shown that you know the lack of tests in the last few weeks hasn't hasn't helped them when it comes to this game. But I like that again. I could be wrong in, in what I'm interpreting in that headline, uh, Sam. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but 
Um, is that a ridiculous statement to make at this moment with the Slancer team? I, I wouldn't say it's a ridiculous statement. I think uh, where it goes like Leinster have no world beaters is I think that there are you know, Brian O'Driscoll's, uh, Ron O'Gara's, like Sexton aside, in this Leinster team at the moment. There's players like Kelleher with the potential to go on and become those impaired and James Ryan, you know, but they're not there yet. But I think Leinster, unfortunately, because of the league and the standard of the league compared to them, are probably victims of their own success. And Ring Rose and Larmer, uh, you know, and Baird for one or two great games have been hailed as, you know, guaranteed Lions starters. Leinster would beat any team in the world. Like, this is the victims of their own success. And, you know, it was just a bit of a reality, like, slap to the face for them. And, you know, it's probably warranted. It's probably needed. And, you know, maybe, and from a Connick supporter point of view, hopefully this bursts that aura and that bubble and we can see more competitive games against them next year in the league, a couple of losses will benefit Ireland because it means their players will learn how to lose and how to react to being behind and those sort of things. Because, you know, that's from, from our point of view, from an Irish point of view, that's what I want to see is I want to see how well he can run in 50 metre tries. Like it's, there's more to the game than that. Yeah. I agree in that sense. Westy, what do you think about that headline? Um, yeah, I think, look, they've got a lot of youth there and they're obviously one thing that's regretted is bringing the youth through. I, I definitely think, and I think we've all said it before that like pundits and Leicester fans get so far ahead of themselves when one of their players has a great game. It's like, as Sam said, we're going to go on and be world beaters and all that. Um, but look, it's a problem. And I said it earlier and it's a problem we said with, that Ireland have is that there's very few people involved in that squad who can come on and change the game. Like it, it it's not a well-known facet of Irish rugby that we can change our style halfway through. no, None of the four provinces really do it, and I'm not saying every other team does it, but I think it, I think there has to be someone who comes on, and I think in a way, look at again in the second half it did change. I think players like like Gibson Park was far better than Luke McGrath when he came on. He was able to put momentum back into Leinster attack, um, but yeah, I, maybe there's not. To me, I think like I think they're missing Dan Levy. I think Dan Levy coming back. I think he's back for the friendlies this yeah. weekend. Would be a huge boost for him. And Tyg Furlong, of course. I think I think there is one or two. I do think Tyg Furlong is, you know, one of the best front rows in Europe. I think James Ryan's got so much potential, but again, too too far ahead of himself. He's too young. Larmer just doesn't have the full round skill set yet. Um, again, a lot of praise for James Lowe, but like James Lowe been forced into touch on multiple occasions by Saracens. I think, you know, look, it's an easy answer, but I think Leinster were out taught by Saracens. Leinster again. And it's the problem. We were saying they never got out of third gear in, in, in any other game. But, like, like they didn't have to get out of third gear. And I don't think they had the ability to get out of third gear when they needed to. They had to go into the sheds. And, look, somebody said something great at halftime. But they, they couldn't get into the fourth or fifth gear on the pitch when they needed to. Leo Cullen said, lads, come on. We need to get into this game. <laughs> um, I look, I, I don't like, you know, and I know you two are massive Lancer fans, but... I don't like seeing an English team ever beat an Irish team, and I I won't ever like that. And I don't think it's good for the game. The Saracens are still winning at this level, um, after whatever that's happened. So, look, and I wasn't happy to see this result. Um, but you know, Leinster will move on. The season starts again in two weeks, uh, and they'll probably they probably will go maybe undefeated again next year. Who knows? But but you can you can say all you want about like them not being challenged in the Pro Fourteen, like. That's a very simple problem to fix. They've got a squad of 53. Start dividing the wealth. 
invest in the other provinces. Make all of the Irish provinces more competitive so Leinster can play more competitive rugby. Now, I'm not necessarily saying you, you make Leinster lads move, but you invest in academies in other places. If we have the talent in one part of the country, we can have it in another part of the country. Yeah, if you cap, if you cap academy places or something like that, uh, so that you know, players with a, with a want to break into the... Now we've looked. Is it where you're based? Ireland is a small country. Yeah, Sam, maybe shut up your video <laughs> for once. No problem. Um, yeah, we we can uh, we can touch on that subject again because again we could be here for four hours talking about that. But move on to the second Irish team that was playing this weekend, um, Ulster versus Toulouse. Uh, this game was on Sunday, um, and I think Ulster unfortunately just. I think they met their match when it comes to, or they've hit their ceiling basically on where they are in Europe. I think this was as far as they could have got. And, you know, good season all in all, but also their final and a quarter final is never anything to uh, shake your head at. But to lose just physically and, you know, tactically just much, much better in this game. I think to lose are a really good outfit. Like, they're almost too creative at times that they don't know what to do. You know, they have so many options that they can go with that they sometimes just end up throwing the ball about and it doesn't work or there's knock-ons. Uh, it's incredible to watch it sometimes because you're like, where where are they going? What are they doing? But it works, and it, when, it, when, it, when it does work, it's incredible. But um, Westy Ulster, do you agree with my, what I said there? I think they, they reached the, the, their limit or could they have won this game? I don't think look there were there there were moments of brilliance in the game I think like they went with the 5-2 split and you know Burns to go off in like it was just you couldn't ride it like um I don't think they'd be disappointed necessarily in a final and a quarter final but I think the manner in which they lost both of those games would be more painful than anything else um if they were slightly more competitive in either now again like the like the cocktail final was pretty competitive for the first 50 minutes or so um uh, and I guess I mean Really, Toulouse should have been way further ahead. Like Thomas Ramos missed yeah. so many gettable penalties. He at least three, um, didn't he? That was nine points he left yeah. on the board. That was in the first twenty yeah. minutes, half an hour. I said it last week. Like, like with the wealth of French international talent, like Anton Dupont is fantastic. Like he is so good. Entomac. Um, Entomac as well. Like uh, Jerome Kano in the in the in the pack. Cheslin Colbe is beautiful to watch. Peter Aki. I mean, it haunts my nightmares that. He was ever stay in Connacht. I don't think he was ever going to stay in Connacht, but Jesus, I'd love to have him. Yeah, I know. Uh, Sam, are you there? Yeah. yeah Sam. What did you think watching this game as well? Ulster just just not good enough for this level. Uh, I don't think not good enough for this level. I think that's quite unfair. Uh, Toulouse are a sensational team of kind of Galacticos. Like they've they've amassed a really really good team, and they have a, a very tough style of play to play against. Uh, they, they like playing to the strengths of their players, just free-flowing, using the likes of Colby out wide, you know, getting it wide early, bringing the ball alive, very unstructured when they want to be. Uh, and it just probably caught Ulster on the hop. Ulster in a bit of a lull since the lockdown. They've not looked the same outfit they were before that. Uh, Cooney's not been firing as well as he had been. Uh, I think Stockdale has got a lot of questions to answer about his defence and uh, well over a year now, 18 months, two years almost. Let's, talk, well, let's bring up the Stockdale thing because it's been pretty a hot topic since the game, basically people slating him for, the, for his performance, people saying that 
that he was, you know, the cause of a lot of issues with Ulster. I think personally, look at Colby is an incredible talent. He's going to probably beat you one on one. But I think, as we were saying, Sam on text, at least have your technique right, or at least give yourself the best chance to try and make a tackle. And Stockdale doesn't do that. Uh, you know, like yeah, he's. He's at sixes and sevens positionally. That's my my issue isn't with missing a tackle on Chesn Colby because yeah. he's not going he's not the first and he's not going to be the last no. person to do that. My issue is we've seen this week in, week out with Ulster, with Leinster, or not with Leinster, with Ireland. Uh, him being shooting up, him ha- arm tackling instead of shoulder tackling, not getting low enough and missing tackles. And then people throw it back. Like, I know that they've been defensive of him in Ulster and come out and said, oh, you don't know the, how good he is at tackling and stuff. And remember the intercept. And the game was like, yeah, but the intercept should have been made. The tackle should have made two phases earlier. I don't fancy him at the moment defensively. I think he's a unit and he needs to use that size with his advantage. Like, uh, Horgan was good at it. He was a unit on the wing as well, but he tackled smart and he tackled like a proper winger. But I think... Uh, a few too many intercepts early in his career and he's gotten he's gotten bad habits definitely and it needs to be sorted out and like the, he's blessed with the coach he has up there Dan McFarland will definitely do wonders with him it's up to him to take it on board uh, I think it's really important for Ireland for Ulster uh, because when he's on it and he's taken he's a great player but defensively the, the defensive frailties are not this isn't a snap judgment based off the weekend this yeah. is long time coming like it's 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 been a question on a lot of people's minds except for Ulster fans like is he good enough defensively like I have Earls and Conway because they're both more solid defensively as Irish wingers yeah Westy what do you think yeah I agree with Sam like there were some some good moments from Stockton as well I mean he he did there was one kick deep where he recovered where he recovered the ball and actually beat Colby and got around him but again we've questioned his defense a few times and kind of popping up for the intercept and been caught in no man's land um, I think as well, it's it's more the nature of kind of like the two steps in particular that Colby gets him with are pretty much identical. Mm. And look, as you say, like Colby is one of the best in the world. He's going to step you. Like if you don't, if you stay inside, he'll beat you outside. And if you go outside, he'll beat you inside. But I mean, to go back to basic schoolboy rugby, you're told to use the touchline as a defender. Do you know, at least like we were always told if he beats you outside, now as a forward, if he beats you outside you, he beats outside you. But don't let him step back inside you. You know, like I force him to go to the outside line. Yeah, that's his. Um, yeah, when I saw it too, I was, I was like, surely you've done enough film, you know, film watching on Colby. He likes to step inside. So as you say, Westy, like you can, you know, if you get a hand on him when he tries to beat you outside, you might push him out of, out of you know, into touch by, you know, his foot or something. You don't necessarily have to make yeah. a tackle. You just have to get him out of, out of over the line. But it's the same like step the, as you said. Like the step is a great step, yeah. like it's quite Cooper-esque in its, in its step, but he's caught so flat-footed that he's never going to be able to defend any step. He's caught so flat-footed because of his body position. I just think there's so much wrong with everything leading up to the missed tackle. And then later on, there's an absolute arms tackle as well that he just, he doesn't even attempt. He goes with his shoulder in. Like use that size, use that, just the fact that if you get big, they're going to have to hit you at some point. Like, it's hard to go around you. He's a big guy, but, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of questions to be answered for. Yeah, I think our last, my last thought in the Stockdale thing is just like, you know, this has been said about Stockdale for the last two years, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. So that's, that's our criticism. Like, I tweeted out my criticism of it, and people thought that I was blaming him for the whole loss. I was like, no, 
I'm not it's like attacking wise. We all know how gifted he is, but he needs to make and it's you know simple stuff for a player of that talent. To, you know changes to make. I'm sure and it would improve his game vastly. But well, uh, Ulster I think you know massively missed Kosia here in this game just for his physicality and his uh, his carries. It would have uh, you know helped when it came to the, the physicality matchup. Um, you know, Toulouse seemed to make it a point to be physical early on. Like Ugier, the, the the is he center or wing for Toulouse? Things are the wing, wing I think. He came in and made some massive hits. Er, you know, that need you know sets the tone for the rest of the performance. Like Ulster at this level, when you come against this team that's this physical, lads like Mike Lowry and Rob Little, unfortunately, just aren't going to cut the mustard, and they're going to get you know battered and bruised. And unfortunately, that happens the weekend. But I think Toulouse obviously well deserved the winner. I thought the referee was quite good. I thought I like uh, Wayne Wayne Barnes, Wayne, no Stuart Barnes, Wayne Barnes, Wayne. I always forget to mix up the first names. Uh, Stuart Barnes is the pundit, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wayne Barnes. Yeah. Uh, I thought I think he's quite good. I like his communication. Um, speaks French, which is pretty impressive. Wee um, wee. Oui, oui. uh, but just you know, I thought he was pretty good in that game. But um, Toulouse worthy winners, Westy. I think. Going forward, I I think they have a really good chance. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I think they do. I mean, I think I think most eyes now this weekend are going to be on the Rasting Saracens game. I think that's kind of the real interesting one. Just on the Ulster team, like, I think there were some positives from Ulster. I think Burns was playing well before he got injured. I do think Mike Lowry had some brilliant moments. Just weren't able. To... It's a lack of clinicality. We said it against Leinster as well. Like they, the amount of times they were, anytime they put good phases together, once they got like into it. Uh, Toulouse were able to poach the ball and take it from them or force an error and just outclass them um, yeah I think I mean I think Toulouse would more than likely be in the final um, yeah Saracens Racing I don't know how, how to call that one that really depends on the day um, I do think Saracens will be hard to beat um, I think maybe Saracens to lose final I don't want to see to watch. Saracens in the final but we'll see we'll see um yeah, definitely, I agree. A lot of positives for Munster going into next year. A couple of great young players there. Hume has been brilliant the last few weeks. Um, Very good. And he's only, he's only young. So a lot of positive to work off the next couple of years and somewhere to build. But uh, just at the weekend, unfortunately, I think they, they reached their peak. But um, we'll go on to the Racing uh, Claremont game, which is after the Leinster game, which is a really good high-scoring game. Um, Sam, what was your kind of issues, what was your kind of initial views on this? Uh, yeah, it was enjoyable to watch it this afternoon when I got back. Well, I kind of did it while kind of doing some work after school. But uh, no, it was enjoyable. Two two really stacked teams. Uh, Sam goes to school and leaves. <laughs> so uh, ruined. No, two two really stacked teams. Uh, high score, and it was kind of always going to be high score. The last few weeks in Racing kind of, uh, and Claremont both scoring lots and leaking lots of tries. Uh, I was... I, Happy out for Zebo. I think I like Zebo a lot as a player, and it's great to see him kind of getting through and you know doing doing it. Uh, and then Dunnock Ryan as well, who's I think you know Ireland have kind of missed him the last couple of years. Like it was a great move for him to go to France when he did. Uh, I don't know why or how he was let go when he was, but uh, no loads loads of tries. What's uh, your sorry, Sam said it well, again. <laughs> Uh, I'm just I can't remember the name of your man who scored the two tries, uh, but playing really really well. So, 
I was good. Uh, I'm more interested in the Irish teams over the weekend, yeah, really. Yeah. That's why I got to it. Uh, but I'm excited to see Racing. Uh, I think that Racing Saracens, like, they'll put it up a bit more, I think, than Leinster did from the start. I think they have the kind of the firepower. They've, like, they have a bit more going for them. And then Finn Russell might, you know, excite a little bit, which would be great. Might... Yeah, I think I agree. Like, Racing started well and got ahead kind of early and then kind of, you know, never looked back. Because Claremont scored more tries than Racing in this game, but uh, Racing kicked eight penalties, which, you know, it's going to be tough to beat any team that kicks eight penalties. Um, you know... Four yellows in the game yeah, as well. Like, pretty, it's, uh, pretty interesting, yeah. but from a French perspective. Uh, Westy, what did you think of this game? Uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, Racing obviously getting the first try in three minutes. They kind of put a marker down, take their points from then on and build a lead. It's, I mean, it's look, it's the same attitude the Saracens had against Leinster, really. Um, I was really happy to see Matsushima back from Claremont. I didn't know how long he was going to be injured for. I'm really excited to see how he gets on in France. Um, Japanese players don't typically do great when they move outside of Japan, so like I'm kind of watching this one closely. Um, but yeah, look, I just think Racing had the better kind of game plan. They forced Claremont to chase it. Claremont played some lovely rugby at times, but again, nothing anyway consistent was Racing always kind of looked slightly in control. Yeah, the, um, the, the pen out try Claremont was incredible. Uh, oh, yeah, very like, good. Like, it's not too often lads bounce off Akatawa. Uh, as you know, <laughs> yeah. But Zebo, he's like deceptively quick, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? He covered over that ground. I know your man was jogging, but like he still covered the ground and made a decent tackle attempt on him. You know what I mean? Like if it was if it wasn't on the touchline or the try line, he would have, you know, stopped him pretty quickly. Uh, but yeah, yeah, happy for Zebo. Obviously, yeah, I do. I do like Zebo, and um, and you know the fact that there's a couple Irish lads in that team now, it's going to be fun to kind of cheer them on. Um, It'd be great if if Racing did win it. It would make. Uh, um, Donnick Ryan, like the first Munster man to win a Heineken Cup in about twelve years. Yeah, um, and I think I think it's because he was in the the OA team, wasn't he? So he'd have two Heineken uh, Cup medals, which would be fantastic. Decorated. Talk about decorated as Skin, as Simon Zebo always calls him. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll move on then. Exeter Northampton was another game as well. Uh, Exeter obviously massive favourites going to this game and sort of just kind of kept themselves ahead and did enough, and then at the end pulled away. Um, that that Slade lad was oh he was impressive. Uh, that first try he made a beautiful kind of run and and, and pass, um, for the Exeter try. But Sam again, this was pretty comfortable I think for Exeter in the end. Yeah, they they would have thought it was going to be comfortable. Like they're kind of running away with the Premiership at the moment. Uh, they're on a, the media the last couple of weeks and saying how how excited about the team he is and you know they're. They're a really well put together team. They've not gone out in the Bristol or done the Saracens and you know signed the huge big world beaters. Like I know Hog was a great sign, but like they've put together a team that plays very very well. They're they're great to watch. Uh, Vermeulen was very good. Noel Hill. Uh, I think they scored five, maybe six tries. Can't remember offhand. Uh, really good to watch, and you know. I'm excited to see if they can go on. Like they've got the chance to do a premiership in European double, so that'll definitely be a massive motivator. It'll be huge for them as a club. Uh, it'll be really big. Uh, and you know, Toulouse at home, Toulouse are going to put it to them. It's going to be a great game of rugby to watch. But you know, they're at home. They can get a bit of bit of G from that. You know, might be hard for Toulouse to travel. 
uh, in that regard. So, so it's the signs for them. And I kind of I know you're you're not keen on English teams, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too down if I saw Exeter getting through ahead of Toulouse. Like obviously Toulouse are a beautiful team to watch, but uh, it'll be it'll it'll make for a nice story, I think, if they got into the final because they they put I think they've done they've gone about it the right way and they they, they stuck in the the salary cap. Oh, yeah. Did they win the premiership yeah, so, two years ago last year? When did they win? Uh, well, last year no, it wouldn't be Saracens last year. So uh, I'll just double check for you there now. Uh, and then just from Northampton's point of view, it was tough on them. They were absolutely cracked with board earlier, you know, and they they had a young lad who was like. 18 who converted from number eight to prop playing and he played 70 something minutes like you know it didn't disgrace himself at all so fair play to them for putting it up to them but i just think it was just always going to be a bit too far for them this time yeah they did in fairness Northampton kept fighting till the end uh so fair play to them but westy what about you what did you think i only saw the highlights now so i can't speak too uh too in-depthly into it but yeah again I think Exeter, whatever chance kind of Northampton might have had, Exeter getting those two quick tries. Well, not quick tries, but like going two, two converted tries up uh, to a penalty, I think, after 25 minutes. I think you put kind of a depleted Northampton under the cosh then, and they just, as Sam said, they just didn't really have the resources to recover then later on in the game. Although they, you know, like Dan Bigger played well, like they did get a couple of scores in. They, they kind of really did give a good show of themselves, I think. I just think... Yeah, Exeter were just far too clinical and kind of took every opportunity that came up. Yeah. Uh, we'll look ahead now to the semi-final. We'll just give a few predictions. So, Saracens Racing in the first game. Westy, do you want to give us your uh, your prediction? I want I want to say Racing. I really do. But I think... I don't think Leinster took enough out of Saracens to have them be tired going into this game. Um, just as you say, like, like with England in the World Cup, you know, they beat the All Blacks and then they lost heavy to yeah. South Africa. Sometimes you see like after a big win, they don't follow through again. So I hope Racing are able to, to do that to them. Um, but I just think Saracens are just really good at slowing the game down, imposing their game on the opposition. Um, they might just take a bit of the flair out of that Racing team. So I think Saracens. Sam? I think that everyone will have a really nice time. <laughs> <laughs> No love, I, time. Nobody enjoys playing Saracens. <laughs> Even Saracens don't like playing for <laughs> yeah. Saracens. I, I think, uh, I think it'll be a tough game for Saracens. I think it'll be tougher than last week. Uh, but I think they'll come through it. I just think after beating Leinster, which was the big hurdle that they'd been waiting months and months to get past, and you know people have been like, "How will Saracens react? Should they even be in the tournament?" And then they went and beat Leinster. This is their chance to go on a big like two middle fingers out the sunroof of a limousine around uh, European rugby and be like yeah salary cap broken go in the championship but European champions you know let us defend our title oh we're not allowed so I think this is just going for them this is going to be the be all and end all and like Westy said you know a lot of them will be G'd on by wanting to play one last game with their mates that they've gone all over the place after this year so uh, I think Saracens will, Saracens will take it but you know that's not to say Racing can't play well like they're it's going to be a cracking game. Yeah, I'm going to go with Racing. Um I think my logic here <laughs> is that as you said Westy, after 55 55 minutes Saracens really didn't have anyone to bring on and kind of totally slow down where I think Racing are going to be close much closer to them after 60 minutes than Leinster were. 
And I think they just have enough to pull out in the last 20 minutes, which I'm hoping because I don't want to see Saracens do well um, for obvious reasons. So hopefully that's the case. Uh, Exeter to lose. I'll start this one off. I think to lose. I, I think they're going to win the whole thing. I'm back and I'm on the to lose train. Uh, I think they're fantastic to watch. Well, you know, you go on about Saracens beating Leinster. Toulouse have already beaten the best team in the competition twice. So, you know, you really can't, who, you really can't stop who them. Who would that be, Westy? Uh, Colin, oh, obviously. Oh, of course, of course. Sorry, how could I forget? Yeah. Uh, well, that's you. That's, that's we actually the... put it to them as well, I'm just going to say. Yeah, we're close to Ulster. Did you, did you lose? Yeah, <laughs> that's you. You make, only because we beat them two or three years ago. Though, make a good point. Though, they, uh, they, two or three years before that as well. Uh, you make a, if they hadn't have uh, if they hadn't gotten so scared of us four years ago and signed Peter Aki promise, maybe it would have been different. Yeah, yeah. You make a point, they're, though, West. They, but they even, see Saracens are planning for Leinster, but you know Toulouse are planning for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. I think Toulouse are too good. Um, I think they have too much firepower. I think when it clicks, it's just unstoppable. Um, but I could be wrong. Let's see. But I'm going with a harassing to lose final, which will just be pornography in a lot of ways. So, uh, Sam. Uh, yeah, I'd I'd love to see Exeter do it. And I said, you know, they they have the chance to go for the the double, which would be great. And it's definitely a big motivator for them. Uh, like this will be this will be a good game again. The two of them are great great semifinals. Uh, looking forward to the weekend. But I just think, yeah. If, the way they are, like Peter Aki is a sensational player, uh, Ches and Colby, they're 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 so so stacked, and it's it's going to be very very hard to beat them. Uh, I think the motivation for Toulouse to win the five before Leinster do, or the motivation for Exeter to win the double is going to g on both teams. So uh, I'm going to say Toulouse as well, but like I I really think that Exeter, you know, they run away with the Premiership. They have a chance to make a massive statement here. So it'll be it'll be a interesting game see how it plays out yeah Westy finish off our predictions oh man I really want to say extra just disagree with you guys um, <laughs> but I can't I don't know enough but extra to back it up uh, look I just think if Toulouse play anything like they played like their ability to keep the ball alive against Ulster was staggering like they had so many like stopped standing offloads that somehow resulted in breaks it was just I don't, I mean, I don't know how they're able to do it Um I think it's a little bit like like flash against force in a way. Like maybe uh, extra can kind of dog them into a bit of a tighter, closer knit fight. Um, but if Toulouse have any space at all, I think they're going to win. And uh, flash against force, I'm always back in flash, personally, yeah. because who doesn't want to see flash? You know, yeah, uh, for flash. We'll move on. Uh, Savior of the universe. Uh, <laughs> um, our main man, Anna. <laughs> A big supporter of the podcast tweeted in asking a question. Two questions. Uh, first one being, right, Westy, let me set the scene. Sam, I'll come to you next. You're the last man back, Westy. You're the Jacob Stockdale role. One player's coming at you 1v1. Who would you rather that player be? Radrara? I definitely pronounced that wrong. Randranra? Uh, <laughs> or Colby? Um, so you're really asking me, do I want to look stupid or do I want to be crushed into tiny little smithereens. Think, um, I'd rather look stupid and have Colby step me than have Semi Randrandra flatten me into oblivion. I think I think you I think you're right there, Sam. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Ches and Colby as well because I reckon if Semi's running at me uh, after tucking my semi 
I just get absolutely annihilated uh, trying to just do that fall over tackle that I do when someone's bigger than me. But uh, you could do, a, you could do a, a tree hand tackle though. Think about that. Oh yeah. But if uh, if Ches and Kobe's running at me and he's doing his big quake Cooper step, I think I just revert back to my centre back Sunday league days and just go for kick the shins and <laughs> get the red card, <laughs> stop the try, yeah. just big <laughs> boot, take the feet from under him, uh, and just like people will understand. I yeah, think. people yeah, will get it. I think, I think. Yeah, I I'll go Kobe as well. In fact, I'll go with my uh, my my previous background as being a goalkeeper. For penalties, I would just guess a side and dive early. So I would just guess oh, yeah, which way he's going to go. And then, you know, you have 50-50 chance. You might look like the best tackler in the world, you know? And then just think about how smug you'd be with Jacob Stockdale. would be like, I tackled him. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's how I'd look at it. So thanks. Second question then again, Anna. So we want to discuss our European Player of the Year. The nominations have been out, and it's actually quite a tough one because if you had asked me this a few months ago before the break, I would have said John Cooney hands down. But it's definitely been lackluster since his return. So I'll just kind of list off the the, the you know the nominations here. So we've obviously Marcel Kutzia, John Cooney, Luke Cowan, Dicky, Tyg Furlong, Stuart Hogg, Jerome Kano. Jordan Larmer, just going to let that one sit for a while, uh, George Moala, uh, Roman Intimac, Semi Randrandra, Gary Ringrose, Finn Russell, Sam Simmons, Teddy Toma, and Vakatawa. Um, it's tough, it really is tough because it's, it's, it's very hard to kind of remember before the 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 pandemic and like obviously I th- I thought John Cooney was the best player in Europe at that stage, but can you give it to him after his kind of poor form since the return, uh, Westy? What do you think? Is it what what do you think in regards to the nominations? Yeah, I, I think maybe um, I'm trying to find the nominations here so I can kind of think about this a bit better. Um, Cooney, I think, unfortunately, like, obviously, we've come back at the end of the season and he hasn't been at the form that he was. Unfortunately, it's also the business end of the season. Um, with him not able to convert that kind of, let's say, pool game form into knockout rugby form, I, I think, I just don't think, I wouldn't be able to give it to him. Yeah, I agree. Over, like, I, is, Anton Dupont wasn't nominated? Like, I think he's the best scrum half in the no, world. No, not like, nominated. Uh, Who do you say... Sam, and he's not nominated before we started. Bundy. <laughs> Shame that. No, not, not uh, Bundy. No, I was saying uh, Maro Toje, I think, has been sensational again. Yeah, not not mentioned. I think the uh, the, the guy that everyone's kind of saying at the moment now has the, all the momentum is Van Randra because of just the hype and the performances. That he's he's had. He's been he's been brilliant for Bristol since the break, uh, and you know he was he was devastating with Bordeaux as well earlier on. And the uh, phenomenal player has the benefit of being a highlight reel player. Uh, I think Jerome Kano has been so impressive all year. Like we talked about him earlier on in in the season before the lockdown. Cooney, I don't think that the post lockdown performances should be that detrimental to how good he's been. If there was no lockdown and the last three games had happened when they were supposed to happen, just straight after the last ones, and he had played the way he has, people would go, ah, just a blip, yeah, but he's still been unbelievable all season. I think it's just the fact that he was so good and there was six months off 
and then he's come back and he's not been too good. I think people are kind of recency biased more than anything. No. I do think like if you were looking at the season as a whole, I think he definitely deserves to be in the conversation. It's uh, it's really, really tough to discuss. Like Finn Russell, Shafting's probably get some, some extra points. Uh, and then, you know, like Marcel Coutsy has been brilliant, yeah, brilliant. for a long Furlong's for himself hasn't probably been as good the last few years, but he's still devastated to play against. Uh, Stuart Hogg's just in there for the token uh, Scottish player. Uh, <laughs> no, Russell is Scottish. Yeah, is he though? Yeah, but he's, is he he's West two he Scots. Two Scots. No, I like I like Stuart Hogg, and I, I think he's been good, but I don't think he's been anywhere near any of the rest of them this season. Uh, no, Entmac and Kano. Brilliant. Uh, I'm going to go with Sammy just because I've enjoyed watching him the last couple of weeks. Uh, not because I actually think over the entire course of the season he was any better than John. When he was running a le- an Ulster team that were flying high uh, and without the lockdown probably would have been a shoe-in for this position. He was kicking to win. He was bringing players into the game. He was playing some of the best scrum half play I'd seen in Ireland in a long time. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Cooney. Uh, Westy, what do you think? Um, yes, yes, he semi semi's kind of nominated playing under the Bordeaux, like Bristol as a Bordeaux player as opposed to Bristol. Oh, he's both. Like, on, he's I both. think, yeah, I think Semi Andrandra is probably the best individual player in the world at the moment. Um, and I think like we've already seen flashes of what he can do when he's being coached by Pat Lamb. Like I think this year he's going to be the player of every tournament that he plays in. Um, yeah. But again, look, at I, I don't have enough knowledge of Bordeaux pre-lockdown to kind of make a full um, uh, they're, statement they're in the Challenge, they're I know, yeah. I, just, I haven't watched them closely enough. Um, I'd go with um, toss up between Kano and Entomac. I'd go with Roman Entomac. I just think the guy's class. Yeah, that's fair enough. This is the thing, it's, t- it's tough because of the, the pandemic. It's... It's there. It's, it's like two there seasons. In the memory there. Like, yeah, two. You know. Yeah. So it's I, I like Leinster. I think obviously been incredible, but I don't think there's been any standout. I think Gary Ringo has been very good, but I don't know if he's been to that level where you could say that he's been the player of the year. Same with Furlong. And I don't think Larmer has been that level. Definitely. Um, I, I I think I might stick with Cooney in the sense that he. I think I agree with you, Sam. He was just so good before the break that does three or four bad games now ruin that I think he will I don't think he's gonna I don't think he's gonna win it because I think that will be taken into account or into effect but uh, I don't know maybe I'm wrong maybe I don't know it's complete recency bias because I think that if those if that blip of three games happened when it should have happened which was six months ago people would just consider it a blip and say oh that's unfortunate but how good has he been all year? I think it's the fact that the goodness was six months ago. You're forgetting just how devastatingly good he was. Uh, that being said, like Wes, you said there, like Kano is yeah. like, I remember us having conversations early on in this podcast and unplayable for a while. Like, so, you know, it's this, it's such a hard decision to make. I don't know how they make it. I'd say they just throw them all at a wall and hope for the best. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Under recency, I don't think it's all recency bias for Cooney. I, th- I think you have to look at the weights of the game. Like, there's no point beating Bath once you're already qualified. You know, you can put as many points on them as you want. Like, you have to be able to perform in knockout rugby. I'm not saying he shouldn't get it. I mean, I, I take your point. Maybe I'm underestimating just how good he was early on. But you have to take into account how these players reacted to being in a really high-pressure situation. Yeah, well, that's a good point, too. I think Kano and Intermax should definitely be considered. Like, if you beat Connor twice in the same year, you should definitely be considered for player of the year. 
Do you know what I mean? Give them the title. So, Anna, I don't think we've really come up with a conclusive answer because it's just really tough. Um, let us know if you're listening or not. Let us know. Tweet us what you think your player of the year is and give us your reasons why because there's some great players on this list and there's a few deserving winners. So I think we'll leave it at that. Uh, lads, thanks again for joining us. Um, pr- pleasure as always. Um, follow You can follow the podcast on all social medias. Uh, at Master of None Pod on Twitter, uh, Master of None Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Um, and follow us there and subscribe to the YouTube channel, and you won't miss anything. Um, boys, as always, pleasure having you on, and we'll do it again next week. Cheers, buddy. Good luck. Bye. Yes, that's-